Welcome to The Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, less ukulele. In this episode, Bob's back. That's right, Bob was just in Belgium for the celebration of Daronka XX Bitter, the original craft Belgian hoppy beer. He spoke at the aptly named Bitterland and has brought back tips and tricks for making a big, brash, hopped-up beer, and also just how the Belgians approach brewing. But first, a message from our sponsors. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. The Seltzer Sensation is here, and our friends at Mangrove Jacks have specifically formulated their newest craft series yeast for making home-brewed hard seltzer. The Mangrove Jacks hard seltzer yeast and nutrient produces a clean, neutral flavor and aroma profile, allowing you to get creative with your hard seltzer recipe. Homebrewers can use this blend of yeast and nutrient in their own seltzer recipes, or choose from one of the new Mangrove Jacks hard seltzer recipe kits, which are formulated to make up to five gallons of refreshing 4.5% seltzer. The kits come in three thirst-quenching varieties, Raspberry Breeze, Lemon and Lime Smash, and Pineapple Sunset. How's it going, man? Well, I just uh, just finished a short brew day. Oh, and what uh, what did we brew? I brewed a, uh, a Belgian double. I somehow knew it was going to be Belgian. <laughs> <laughs> you're staying you're staying very true to brand. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, this is the first one uh, since I came back from Belgium, so I, I'm using everything I stole from uh, my trip to uh, Rochefort. Well, okay, then give me a good example of what you stole from Rochefort. You know, here there's, you know, everybody's up in arms about, you know, what sugar to use. Oh, it's got to be the, you know, the, the liquid candy sugar. It's got to be invert sugar. They literally just use plain old grocery store dark brown sugar. And that's, and that's where the, what, the Rochefort ate? Uh, for all of them. Oh. Um, well, I mean, except for the, uh, you know, the extra, the triple. Yeah, just different degrees. Um, the base is the same for all three beers. They just up the base malt amount a little bit and up the sugar quite a bit. So, I mean, in other words, to me, what it sounds like you're saying is that, once again, American brewers tend to overthink the hell out of everything. <laughs> yeah. Either that or the Belgians are very oddly lax. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, we, I, I question them. I'm like, 
well, is it invert? He's like, no, we tried to get liquid sugar from the supplier because it'd be easier to deal with. You just inject it in lime. Uh, but he said they either couldn't or wouldn't do just liquid brown sugar. They wanted to sell them, you know, the invert or the, the dark candy sugar or candy syrup. And he's like, I know we just want, we want brown sugar in a liquid state. They couldn't do it. So they're just went back to the crystallized brown sugar. Don't sell us the, the expensive stuff. No upsell. Just give us the, the simple stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is why I love Belgium. Well, so obviously we've started talking, but Bob, remind everybody who you are. Uh, I am Bob Sylvester. The I, I call myself Brewer Emeritus from uh, St. Somewhere Brewing Company. Uh, now the head brewer of my uh, homebrew system, which I'm, I'm calling uh, Somewhere Else Beer Project. I, I like the consistency in the naming. Now, the reason why we're talking is because you just referenced you went to Belgium, and you went to Belgium for a very special reason, other than just the fact that it's Belgium and it's fun to go have beer. Uh, the main reason and the... Uh, the easier reason to uh, to sell the trip uh, to the wife uh, was I was invited to speak at Bitterland, the festival of Duranka Double X Bitter. Mm, Duranka Double X. I mean, it's kind of actually weird to say this, but I think we actually need to educate a lot of people on what the hell Duranka Double X is. <laughs> well, it's um, I, I can give you the the long way around. Nino, the uh, the owner and, and brewer uh, was a big hop head, but in the classic sense, you know, European hops, noble hops, couldn't find a decent beer where he lives, you know, decided he was going to start home brewing. And then he moved into uh, professional brewing and uh, eventually uh, opened up his own brewery dedicated to whole cone Essentially, fresh hops, not not wet hops. He buys everything immediately after harvest, stores them himself. Duranka actually is the name of the section of of the hop vine that's removed for harvest. So each one up to the pole and down is a uh, is a ranka, and that's where he get, got the name. Double X bitter is, you know, it's a little bit of a, a misnomer. It's neither a bitter in the English sense. And it's not necessarily bitter. Uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful, really hoppy, uh, again, in, in the noble hop sense, pale, pale ale, mm-hmm. if you can call it that. You know, imagine uh, Orval without the Brett and without any of the uh, the crystal malts. I always kind of think of the Duranka XX as being, at least until Ublon Shuv came out from a Shuv, it was the most consistently hoppy and bitter Belgian beer I think I could find and that you could yeah. taste. And to your point, yeah, it's not like Oulon Schuf goes and uses what uh, CTZ, Amarillo and Zots. So it's playing around in sort of a new American realm, but with the right. Duranka XX, as you said, it's all the, the old noble varieties. It's continental Belgian grown hops, large amounts of, I'm, am I remembering my geography correctly that uh, Duranka is like, it's in that weird little spot in Belgium that's right up against France, just over the border in Wallonia, but still kind of kicking the doors of Flanders, right? 
Yes. Yeah, actually, they're they're right on the edge of, uh, you know, the Flanders region and somewhat close to uh, Rodenbach, Verzette, uh, you know, a couple of the uh, the Oatbrun and, and Flemish Red uh, breweries. Right. And I think the, the biggest city I can think of nearby is like Tournai, right? Uh, yes. If you can call that a big city. Relatively. Yeah. Let's put it that way. You said, hey, I sold this trip as my opportunity to go speak at Bitterland, uh, which I think they they build as the XX Appreciation Society Conference. Yes. Yeah, they, they tried to separate it from Duraka just to have it, you know, different, I guess. Not, not to make it look like it's sponsored by the brewery, which it really wasn't. It was, you know, there, there's a literal XX Bitter Association course, it's still associated with with Taranka, but it's uh, yeah, it, it's somewhat separate. It's the football fan club that is not actually affiliated with the football team, right? Even today, you'd mentioned Orval, uh, or Orval, I think, is the most consistently long term Belgian pale ale that actually has hops to it, even though the Brett kind of thing goes kills it. Yeah, and uh, by the way, that's not a slight against Orval. Orval is one of my favorite beers in the universe. I just love how that how that beer changes. But so with Draka XX being the most consistently bitter thing, at least until Oublon Shoe. Actually, let me ask: when you were over there in Belgium, uh, speaking of this, this was back in what late August, I think. Yes. So when you were over there, I know that you were running around and uh, checking out a bunch of Belgian breweries and you know drinking beer because shocker, you're in Belgium. <laughs> now I don't imagine you did a lot of IPA exploration, but did you see a lot a lot more hoppy beers now? Not really, not until you got into, uh, you know, Brussels, you know, it's a little more cosmopolitan, you know, they're not drinking just the regional stuff. It's things from all over. And you have Brussels beer project that is brewing all kinds of stuff. So, you know, they're, you know, hard onto the American craft beer scene, let's say, you know, you, you, you get into like a popper ring because we, we were, we were there just right at the cusp of hop harvest season. It was, you know, opened hard like two weeks after we left. You know, so there are there a couple of little pockets. Poppering, you, you have the humble beer, which is is hoppy when, you know, when fresh. Yep. Like anything else, I guess. Well, that, that's probably it. Also, Pope is a nice little town. Not a very large town, town at all. Right. You, when you gave your talk, I, I, I have to admit, I, I love the, the, the talk, you know, because it was American farmhouse brewing and why cans suck. <laughs> yeah. Obviously going and talking about farmhouse brewing in Belgium, at least from, you know, how we tend to think about you and I are both obsessed with Belgian farmhouse brewing. Give me, give me a quick rundown. What, what were your lessons to the Belgians about American farmhouse? That it, uh, it's more akin to, historic meaning you know two three hundred years ago the the way they would have brewed a saison or farmhouse ale because you're you're really hard pressed to find anything in belgium or france that is either you know sour uh even have brett uh de la seine now does uh bruxellensis but that's fairly new but the idea of, of sour or brett is just you know that that just isn't done because I mean, you think like Dupont. Dupont's a very clean beer. I mean, with right. a lot of a lot of phenols, but nothing, nothing lambicky, nothing bready, nothing funky. Right. <laughs> At least assuming that uh, the bottles are in good condition. The uh, you know the American brewers, you know myself included, 
you know, we tend to go overboard on everything. So let's make it as historic as, as possible. You know, I did, you know, the open fermentation and, you know, the ambient yeast and, you know, went as old school as you can get where, you know, they've been there and, and have done that. And they're like, well, why would you do that? That's stupid. Well, you, know, you got to start somewhere. Like I said, it's just our thing. Tell me, why do cans suck? <laughs> you know, I, I don't I don't hate cans. Um, in the realm of who I was speaking to and, you know, in Belgium in general, they are still heavy into uh, recycling of bottles, washing, rinsing, delabeling, and reusing the bottles. That's why, uh, you know, if you go to your your local beer shop that has a decent selection of Belgians, you look at the bottles and there's maybe three different bottles. Everybody uses the same thing. They really didn't start canning until recently. And most of the, you know, quote, craft type beer that is canned is for export. They're still not on board with, with the cans unless you're drinking, you know, Jupiler or, you know, the, some mass-produced chug-down swill beer. It's just, you know, they consider it not an abomination, but, a you know, an insult to the beer. Not that cans are any worse or, or better, just that it's more out of respect for the, what's in the package. You know, the presentation, the, the pouring beer, the, you know, having the proper glassware. It, it's, it's part of the culture. It's also a hell of a lot harder, I think, to have a wicker basket designed to hold a can for pouring. <laughs> True. I I'm I have no problems with cans, except for one. And I think it grossly impacts a lot of the Belgian beers that we have, which is that canning lines are so sensitive about carbonation and amount of carbonation in the beer. Right. Unless you're doing can conditioning, which I have to do an episode at some point on. Uh, unless you're doing can conditioning... You can't get what I consider to be a proper Belgian fizz in a can. Right. Even with can conditioning, you can only go so much. You can only go so high mm-hmm. in a can. And it, it's, uh, you know, it's not high enough. Yeah. It, again, depending upon the style. I, I also, I thought it was funny. You mentioned uh, the other mass produced beers in Belgium and, I always thought it was funny. I think American craft beer geeks and I, or maybe just craft beer geeks in general have a very skewed idea of the Belgian beer world or the Belgian beer consumption. You know, we tend to think of like, oh, you know, you got all these Abbey beers and, you know, you got Duranca, you've got DuPont, you've got all these wonderful beers that we know and love. And then yet, if you go to Belgium itself, you know, most of the beer that's being drunk is just like everywhere else. Yeah. It's just that they have a long cultured tradition of it. But I remember talking to Belgians before who were not beer geeks, who were completely baffled by why Americans were coming over to their country to go drink beer. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, you know, the Americans eat nothing but hamburgers and hot dogs, right? Exactly. And in Belgium, it's all frites and mussels and Belgian waffles. <laughs> Preferably Liège waffles. Let's talk about the, the beer that drug you over there. Let's talk about that XX. Because as you said, okay, kind of a pale ale-ish. So uh, I forget, was it like five and a half percent? Six? Six, six and change. Six and change. A, a pale ale by Belgian standards. It's, it's counterpart, I'd say, would be a Terrace Balbo, which is a little lower ABV. So we got a sort of a strong pale ale. You'd mentioned, okay, Orval 
whole whole cone hops that have been dried but aren't aren't stored, you know, like at the you know hop merchant, and less well, no Brett uh, in comparison to Orval. So, can you can you tell me what you learned about XX while you were over there? Well, the the, the festival itself was held at uh, the same hop farm that uh, that Durant gets their hops from. So that was that was very cool. You could take a, you know take a tour into the the hop fields and you know get the the whole explanation on you know how they grow hops, which is pretty much the same anywhere you go. I, I guess my my biggest insight. I, I mean, I've, I've been through my connection with Shelton Brothers in the past. I was you know very familiar with uh, Duranka and uh, actually had a, a collab set up. Oh, in 2019, but it, it kind of fell through. I couldn't, I couldn't make it happen. It was my fault. So we, we didn't do that, but they do a huge line of beers, anywhere from double X to um, a pretty legitimate uh, Creek and everywhere in between. Oh yeah. Well, I'm, I'm trying to remember what's the, the other one that I always have Oh, around Christmas. It's always pair a well. Yes. Yeah, good old Father Christmas. <laughs> Which, again, not your average Christmas beer. Nope. Light in color, very happy. I mean, we also have to admit, though, like, Drunk also has those wonderful paper-wrapped bottles. You were mentioning presentation as a as a thing. Yes. So, thinking about Belgian yeast and sort of those noble hops, what do you think is the trick about combining those? Because I, I find that there are relatively few beers that use, you know, like your Zots and your... Steering Goldings and all those sorts of things that also use a very characterful yeast that make a beer that's ultimately very drinkable. So is there a trick or is that just my own bias? Uh, I don't think it's a trick. I think it's just that's what they've done since day one, you know, in, in Belgium. I mean, they're, they have access to all the noble hops right there, you know, or from Germany, which is, you know, Two hours away, two and a half hours away, and it's it's part of the culture. You know, the, these are you know the ingredients they've been using for <laughs> since somebody discovered what uh, Sots hop was. Then let me ask you, where do you think we normally go wrong? Because I've had a number of like people who are trying to do like a Belgian IPA or hell even a German IPA with continental varieties. You know, and trying to do something with a very expressive yeast and, and yeast at least with the way I think a lot of Americans use them, ends up being messy. Yeah. Um, I would say a lot of that goes back to the early days of uh, of American homebrewing, where, you know, the, even, you know, the people who wrote the books, you know, the early in the early days, 70s, 80s, early 90s, didn't have a whole lot of reference, so they had to figure things out themselves. You know, I had to figure out what hops were in there that just by sensory evaluation, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of guidance. I don't know why they just didn't call up the brewery and ask them because everybody I talked to in Belgium, especially, they'll just tell you absolutely everything down to the yeast strain, where it comes from, source of their sugar, you know, everything. There's no, uh, there's no secrets. Well, as you were just pointing out, Rochefort and brown sugar. <laughs> yeah. And I think there just became this overcomplicated mindset 
with American brewing that has carried over to, uh, to now. And, you know, the majority of professional brewers come in from, you know, the homebrew sector. Most of the ones I know, mm-hmm. if not all. And, uh, you know, they, they carry that over rather than trying to make things as simple as, as possible or as simple as they need to be, you know, they try to dive in head first and, well, if we combine these eight hops and this dirt in this way, and you know, we'll, we'll end up with this where, you know, you don't need to do that. You know, yeast is a, <laughs> yeast is so secondary in, in Belgian brewing that it's, it's kind of ridiculous. They're not real concerned about the yeast at all. It's just a vehicle to get to the end product. They're more concerned about local malt, you know, the hops as, as fresh or local or historically accurate as they can get. And uh, the yeast is, you know, eh, we'll, we'll use this yeast. A lot of dry yeast. You'd be surprised how many really great Belgian breweries just use dry yeast or a combination of two dry yeasts. Well, and I remember last time I was there and talking with brewers around there, and they, they were all very much like, Oh yeah, you know, uh, we get the Rochefort yeast and that's what we use and or well if if we can't get that then we use something else. Yeah, it's not you know the, the heartbeat of, of of their beer. It's you know, it's everything. Everything combined. Where, you know, here yeah, here you know, you tend to obsess over something. Oh, you gotta have this specific, you know, liquid yeast and grow it this much and do this and this and you know, where they're cutting open a packet of dry yeast, dumping it in, and, you know, boom, you've got this fantastic world-class beer. T58 everywhere. <laughs> but you are right because, I mean, again, as we were talking about when we opened up the show, you know, looking at, like, the sugar conversation and how much, you know, the, like people even going, like, as far as, like, oh, no, well, you got to use beet sugar and not cane sugar, you know, at the very least. You know, or, yeah, you got to invert it. And it's like, I mean, look, when I ran around Belgium, I, the amount of time I saw just bags of sugar everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and not dextrose either. It's just it's just sugar. Yep. Good old table sugar. So with Duranka, uh, I mean, do you get what yeast strain they were using? Was it just like a T58 or something? It was a combination of two, two dry yeasts. And off the top of my head, I, I couldn't tell you, but they were... Uh, they weren't 258. I, I believe they were either Fermentus or uh, Lalamond. E, E33, I think. But yeah, just, you know, just, just yeast. What do you got that produces, uh, produces enough of the right character and gets rid of the sugar? Yeah. Yeah. There's no, you know, Holy Grail locked vault with, you know, glowing, you know, yeast brink. It's, yeah. You know, I wonder if some of that, if some of that idea of where the the recipe matters in that way and all the ingredients matter in this particular way isn't somehow tied in with like all the American legends of things like, you know, the Colonel's secret 11 herbs and spices and the, and the secret Coca-Cola recipe stored away in a vault. Yeah. I, I'm sure that plays into it. You know, that there's, there's some secret that we need to figure out. And the only way to figure that out is to, you know, use 17 hops in the, you know, the first edition. I mean, that goes into the argument I've been making for years, which is, I mean, yeah, if you go and you look at Belgium or if you go, hell, if you go and look at just about anywhere, professional brewers aren't going to complicate their inventories that much. And they're going to try and make things as simple as, as simple to do on 
brew day because they're doing five other things at once. And so, yeah, the idea of like all these multiple hop additions that have 10 different varieties, I mean, Budweiser will do that just because they're trying to brew consistent beer, right? They'll do a bunch of blending together. Most brewers around the planet are just like, yeah, okay, I got the, I got, I mean, the last episode I was talking to Brian Avery up at uh, Bravery Brewing and we were doing a braggot with him. And he's like, oh yeah, you know, 85 plus percent of my beers are all bittered with Bravo. That attitude plays out, I think, across all professional breweries or most professional breweries. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, it's just a means to an end. It's not uh Well, plus at some point in time, you, you got to think, if you keep making changes, or if you don't at least start with a base of something that you know, you're not going to be able to really safely predict what's going to happen. And when you're brewing a couple thousand gallons of beer, that matters. Sure. Bob, if you're doing, let's say, an homage to Duraka XX, or you're going to construct your own sort of Belgian hoppy beer, it serves as an ode to, you know, continental hops and all that sort of fun stuff. What would you do? I'd, I'd start with a base of, uh, if not 100% pills, probably 60 pills and, and maybe 40 uh, pale malt. Just to give a little a little extra something behind the behind the body. Yeah, yeah, just a little little uh, oomph. I wouldn't do any you know any kind of uh, darker malt or even caramel. Bitter, I'd bitter it with uh, Brewer's Gold, which is which you see everywhere in in Belgium and France. That's kind of one of the standard uh, you know bittering hops, even though it's not you know real high alpha acid. No, but it's also, I think, in part thanks to the survivables stuff that YCH has been doing. I suspect we're going to see more Brewer's Gold here in the U.S. too, because it's pretty high in survivable compounds. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great hop. Very underutilized here, anyway. And then late additions, um, just huge amounts of uh, either Hollertau, Sots. Yeah, I'd you know, stick to those two or a combination of the two. Also dry hop with uh, with one or the other or a combination of the two. Shoot for, you know, 60 IBUs or so. Up against what, about a 1060-ish gravity or 1055-ish gravity? Yeah, 1055, 1060. So you end up with a 6-ish percent beer with, with a little body to it. And then with that, uh, the dry hop, I mean, I know we've been talking a lot on the show about doing shorter dry hop times. I'd be curious, what do you think about, what would you do in terms of dry hop time? Short, long? Um, short meaning, you know, the, the, within the same week that you're, uh, you're going to either crash or go to package. So not multi-weeks. Which looking back on it, I think may have always been a problem with people trying to do super hoppy Belgian-y beers here in the U.S. was that idea of like, oh, well, yeah, no, dry hop it for two weeks. You know, you're adding IBUs. You don't have to boil to get IBUs. Just put a hop cone in your mouth or even a pellet in your mouth. It's bitter. <laughs> your mouth isn't boiling. You're going to pick that up. Uh, shorter contact time, you're going to get uh, you know the brighter, cleaner hop character. And you know, it doesn't, doesn't need to be sitting in there for that long. And, and I think very importantly, also uh, less astringency. Yes. So we get a short... A short dry hop of something sort of classical, I think, as you said, something hollow tower or um, Zots. You know, um, I've also played around with doing, like, I use a lot of steering goldings when I'm doing Belgian beers. Hmm. What would you use for yeast? Um, 
now that we spent all this time saying that well, the yeah, I, I, I probably would would go the route of uh like a t58 or um you know something that well the the the, the double x is uh is fermented fairly high i mean not you know not saison temperature but you know they're not keeping it at, at 60 so i would i would stick with something Fairly neutral, but still, you know, bring that those kind of Belgiany esters. So something that's soft in phenols and esters, but not um, not devoid of. Yeah, yeah, you're kind of you're kind of shooting on the lower side. You don't, you definitely don't want something super punchy, but you don't want something that's almost like O one or uh, USO five clean. Right. Yeah. If you did that, then you you've got a you know Sierra Pale. Clone, practically. Sierra Nevada by way of uh, the continent. Uh, <laughs> and though, and so you were saying it's fermented fairly warm. It, do you know where they do they do open fermentation at Duranco or are they all closed? Um, or openish? Well, yeah, for, for this, pretty much all closed, but not uh, not in conicals. They're uh, just the you know the old dish bottom. They look like wine fermenters, but they're they're not. And again, the, you see those everywhere in in Belgium. Yep, you do. Uh, and then, I mean, kind of like the tanks that you had at Saint Somer, right? Similar, but you know, closed top rather than floating lid. Yeah. So I mean that yeah that that gives a slightly different uh, fermentation profile. But again, I think it's more important that you get the right the the right sort of middle ground on yeast, and you and then you run your fermentation hard. Now I know this is going to be a silly question for you, but I assume. Bottle, uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, because uh, the Mino and uh, and and Guido, Guido's the, the the head brewer now. Mino is is you know basically the the boss. Uh, they're both sitting there, you know, staring at me while I'm going on a can tirade, <laughs> and uh, you know, dawned on me, well, hell, maybe they're going to do cans for the U.S. <laughs> So as soon as I finished, I went over and said, you're not going to do cans, are you? He's like, no, no, never. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it will be interesting to see. I mean, you were saying, hey, you know, if you go to a good Belgian bottle shop, you know, you'll, you'll be able to see like, hey, you know, all this stuff still in bottles. And I think that's actually been a real problem for me locally is so many of the good beer stores have almost become all can based that the amount of bottle selection has shrunk over the past couple of years. Uh, so right. it's becoming harder and harder for me to find those nice Belgian beers and bottles. And, and there's, you know, there's really, you know, like anything else these days, there's, there's a lot of misinformation out there regarding cans versus bottles. You know, oh, their cans are so much more recyclable. Well, they can be, but uh, most places, if cans that have a shrink wrap, wrap label are not recyclable. Because they, they they don't want to deal with shrink wrap, so that that goes out the window. Uh, the whole do thing, oh the the do in, in cans is so much better than bottles. It can be, but generally it's not because most breweries can't afford the canning line that would would knock out the the do issue. So, you know, the, those are the two big things. Portability, well, you know, how many times do you really go to the beach or go to the park? Most parks don't let you bring alcohol at all. You know, there's there's 
really not that many positives about cans. Probably the biggest one is transportation. Yes, they're lighter, cost less to transport them than, than glass. They do also have a less uh, explosive means of uh, breakage. I'll give them that too. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> they stretch. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in, in a perfect world with a perfect canning line, yeah, cans are, are better in you know short term for the beer. But, you know, you're celebrating your, your wedding. Uh, you're going to pop a can and, you know, pour it for everybody, or are you going to pop a, you know, magnum of, of St. Bernardus? I don't know. If I got a cooler full of other half or something. <laughs> I love that story. We were talking earlier about the carbonation level, and obviously bottles are great uh, for being able to get very effervescent. If you're thinking about carbonation levels for something like this, where do you want to be? For this, not you know, not real, real high, um, mid high maybe the three volumes, three point two, right? Yeah, it's not a saison. It's not you know, it's it is what it is. But still, that's higher than what kind of typical American volumes are, which is more like two point five, two point seven five. Yeah, because uh, again, you know, Belgium they like to give a robust pour with a big old giant head. And that's hard to do with uh, two and a half, two point seven volumes. Absolutely. Oh, and you know, I, d- I didn't ask because water is such a varied thing across Belgium. You know, you got places with soft water, you got places with very hard water, very mineral laden water. But for this, you know, given that we want hop expression, but not necessarily a lot of hop bitterness in a way, would you tailor your water in any way? Would you try and go more sulfate-y or? Um, I guess another one of the the out in the open secrets to Belgian breweries is that uh, they, for the most part, are using softer water. Even on the hoppy beers, they're going with softer water rather than, uh, you know, more of the sulfates and, and, and carbonates, which doesn't make sense if you're using, you know, low alpha hops, you'd, you'd want to accentuate them, but they're, they kind of go in the other direction. So you get a, a little cleaner, crisper hop presentation. And I'm going to also guess that a lot of the Belgian breweries, or particularly the smaller ones, again, to your, to your point, aren't super obsessive about <laughs> measuring my mineral load. Right. And again, it, it's also more of brew with, with what you got. You know, this is, this is our water. You know, it's, it's our, our town's water. We're going to use this. The old, hey, we make stouts here because our water has a lot of carbonate. Yeah. All right. You know, or Burton, you know, Burton salts, that kind of thing. Right. Now, this was, as you said, when you were over there, this is the first time that they had bitter land. Any any clue if they're going to do this again next year? Um, yeah, they're planning on doing it again next year. Not sure when. I am most likely not going to go, but may go the, the following year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can't go every year. <laughs> well, you could. You, you could. <laughs> you could yeah. Others could. I, I cannot. But yeah, it was a blast. It, it was uh, the next next morning was a little rough because the you know the festival was from noon to midnight. Oh, one beer, just all you could drink. Just do you stand there and they keep pushing it at you. Um, you know they had some food trucks and you know water, but uh, yeah, twelve hours. 
Yeah, and if I remember correctly, it was like 50 euros for the ticket, and it, that basically covered all you can drink uh, XX and all these talks. You know, the, uh, I think there was what, like four or five talks. Yeah, and, and at the end, you got a magnum of uh, double X. <laughs> I, would, I would love to see bringing that one back through customs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were there were three of us. So uh, one with uh, my buddy Blake and Chris Cates from Little Animals Brewing in Tennessee. You know, they, they gave us four of them. And, you know, one, I don't, you know, I, I'm just going to guess. They, they have to weigh like eight and a half pounds each. Yeah. So that takes up a lot of weight, <laughs> a lot of space in your luggage. So we unfortunately ended up, you know, giving them to, to other people along the way. We did we did drink one. Unfortunately, they, they didn't make it back. They're just too damn heavy and too damn big. Would have loved to have brought them back. Before I let you go, any last thoughts on, you know, trying to make a wonderfully hoppy Belgian beer inspired by these ideas? Just large amounts of low alpha noble hops. That's that's the key to brewing something like this. And the same with Terrace Bulba, a couple others out there that are in the same family. Yeah, just large amounts of, of noble hops. There we go. Bob, I expect I'm going to be picking your brain for more things that you discovered while you're there in Belgium. And I miss that country. I need to get back there. Yeah. Yeah. This was a, this was, let's say a bucket list trip because it wasn't, you know, we, it wasn't a tour. It was, I just wanted to go for two weeks, rent a car, go wherever the hell we wanted to go. If we want to stay somewhere three days, we'll stay there three days. If we don't, we, we don't. It was it was a just a fantastic trip. Some of the the things we got to do were incredible. That you know we can get into detail on another another call. Yeah, I think the the last time I went to Belgium, I showed up. I didn't have any any hotels. I didn't have a solid idea of where I was going, uh, but I did have a train pass. <laughs> yep. Between that and the little bell buses, ended up making my way all all around that country, and it's just it's a wonderful place to be. Yeah, it really is. We uh, we rented a car for the first seven days and uh, put uh, nearly 900 miles on the car in seven days. Which is impressive in a, in a country that's the size of Maryland. <laughs> yeah, you could, you could drive literally from France to Germany uh, through Belgium in about two and a half hours. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, Bob, thank you for taking some time to talk to me about Doraka XX, talking about how Absolutely. to actually do, you know, a noble hopped, hoppy, hoppy beer that doesn't taste like tea. Yeah. And leaves. Also very important, the leaves. Yep. And, of course, as always, folks, if you have questions, send me an email at podcastexperimentalbrew.com, and I will get your questions answered, and we will pick more of Bob's brains. Absolutely. Well, what, what's left, anyway? I was going to say, after that, after that trip, I think even just through the social media posts, my liver was hurting. <laughs> it was a great trip. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this look at Bob's bitter Belgian feelings. Lots of low-alpha noble hops, pale malt, and the cheapest sugar you can find. Oh, and don't forget that dry yeast. Now, what would be in your bitter Belgian beer? We know Denny would go full-on Hublon Schoof. Remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at dennyexperimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum known to mankind. 
And of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts, click the AHA or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is the Pongo Fund, a food bank for dogs and cats in need. Until next time, remember, the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. Now through August 31st, boost your brewing IQ with a free book when you join or renew your American Homebrewers Association membership. Choose from three books by some of the best brewing educators. Ray Daniels' Designing Great Beers, The Ultimate Guide to Brewing Classic Beer Styles, or from Stan Hieronymus, Brewing Local, American Grown Beer, or For the Love of Hops, The Practical Guide to Aroma, Bitterness, and the Culture of Hops. Visit homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental to redeem this limited time offer.